Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to a congregation in Asia Minor, a small town called Colossae, and thus you have the Colossians. And um, in this series, Icon, we're, we're studying about how uh, Jesus reveals to us exactly what God's heart is for us, and that by looking at Jesus, we can get the image of, of, of God's heart. And in this, in this passage, we see Jesus as someone who wants to champion our freedom. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. And that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. On a um, Sunday evening last November, Patrick Moberg was uh, down in the New York subway. And he was getting ready to come home from work. It had been a long day and uh, he was getting on the number five train. As he was waiting to get on the train, a beautiful girl walked in front of him. And she immediately captured Patrick's attention. Now, Patrick says in telling the story that, that uh, in fact, it's not all that unusual in New York City to see a very pretty girl. That's something that you, that you frequently see in a big city like New York City. But this girl really captivated Patrick. And so they both got on the train, and Patrick was going back and forth in his mind. What should I do? What should I, um, what should I say? Could I get close enough to this girl just to try to open up a, a conversation with her? And, and it was all he could do to, to just be himself in that moment. He, every detail was capturing his mind. The fact that she had these long braids. The fact that she sat down and began writing in a pad. He was totally and utterly captivated by this girl that he had not even yet met. 
Well, just as he got the courage and stood up and started to walk over to open the conversation, the number five train pulled into the next station, the Bowling Green station, and a whole flood of people got on, and they were separated by, the, by those people. And the, and the next thing, when he could see where she was, the, the space was empty. She had gotten off. Well, Patrick thought, now what do I do? And he thought it was all over. He considered for just a moment, maybe I should get off the train and chase and see if, see if, I could, uh, see if he could find her. And then all of a sudden he thought, well, there's kind of a fine line between, uh, between love at first sight and being a stalker. I, I guess I better not do that. Well, after thinking about it, thinking about plastering posters all over the subway station, he was really captivated by the girl. That night, Patrick, a website designer, birthed a new website. And, uh, the website is nygirlofmydreams.com. And it told the story. He even sketched a picture of the girl, and it told the story of how he saw this girl in the subway station. He was completely captivated, and he put his own picture on there with a little arrow pointing at it that said, not insane. I like that. Not insane, but definitely captivated. Within four days, Patrick had an email in his inbox. And that email said, I think I know who the girl is. She's an Australian girl that's doing an internship here at a magazine in New York. And before you knew it, this thing had blown up into a big story. And it was picked up on by Good Morning America. And Patrick gets a phone call that says, we would love to arrange a meeting between you, Patrick, and this New York girl of your dreams. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and the end of the story is that they're still seeing one another. This girl that had so captivated Patrick, they're still seeing one another today. Now, why do I bring this story up? Here's why I bring this story up. What kinds of things captivate our hearts and minds? Often, it is something like love, right? Or romance, but if you'll take out your crosswalk notes, I want you to think about the full array of things for a moment, not just love. But think for a moment about the full array of things that might possibly captivate your heart and your mind. Take just a few moments and jot some down. You've got a pen or you should have one nearby. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. And uh, be honest. What kinds of things captivate our hearts and minds. Some people are shocked because they've never heard Pastor Jeff shut up during a sermon before. <laughs> Some people are going, I think I have a way we can get Pastor Jeff to shorten up the sermons. No, uh, none of these little quiet periods. Well, you're in church. One of the things that I hope that can captivate your heart and mind, especially as you're thinking about an hour of worship, is God, right? Does God ever captivate your heart and your mind? Maybe some of you wrote 
after hearing that beautiful song, God's grace captivates my heart and mind. I love to think about how God loves me no matter what, that, that his love is greater than my sin. I love ta- thinking and, and, and having my mind and my heart overtaken by forgiveness and peace and joy, those kind of things. But you know, if I were honest, maybe if we were all honest, we'd have to admit that there are other things that sometimes captivate our hearts and minds too, huh? Things like pride, or anger, or revenge, or lust, or greed, or guilt, or shame. Probably all of us have been there at times when the dark side of those things that can captivate our heart and mind begin to work their way their tentacles into our hearts and just grab hold of them and they just won't let go. And we find ourselves almost as possessed, maybe just as possessed as Patrick was in love, but not by love. We find our hearts and minds captivated by sin. In fact, just having had that baptism, you know that the Bible teaches, because we just talked about it, that as we're born, that's, that's how we're born. We're born captives of sin. And that all the time our heart and mind by nature want to lean into these kinds of things. And how wonderful it is that God gives us his son, Jesus Christ, to free us from that captivity and, and the sacraments like baptism to wash our sin and our guilt and our shame away and also to give us the power to lead a new life, not captivated anymore by the temptations of the devil and the world and our own sinful flesh. You know why that's so important to know and why we have to talk about it this morning? And this is in your crosswalk notes. What what captivates our hearts and minds will ultimately captivate our what? What do you write in there? Our souls. Exactly. What captivates our hearts and minds will ultimately captivate our souls. And let let me talk to you this morning about a huge spiritual issue that we have to be aware of. You remember the movie The Fugitive? Richard Kimball? the doctor whose wife was murdered by the one-armed man. And there's this relentless guy, played by Tommy Lee Jones in the movie, a marshal, a federal marshal. And he is following after this Richard Kimball character, and he, he will not let up. In fact, if you remember the one scene where he chases him down through these long tunnels and, and ultimately uh, Richard Kimball has to jump out over the dam and into the water just to escape this guy. And still he keeps coming after him. I want that picture in your mind as you think about how sometimes the world and, and the devil and our own sinful flesh can relentlessly keep coming after us to keep trying to drag us back into the captivity of sin. They share a lot of that same type of quality. And something that we have to be aware of, and it's something that Paul is very much addressing as he writes to the Colossians. Let me give you a modern-day example of what uh, Paul means when he talks about uh, this in Colossians chapter 2. Let me, let me flip open to this chapter. 
And I want to read a verse for you. In verse 6, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you know why he says, keep drilling your roots down into Jesus Christ? Keep growing in him? Because he's thinking exactly of that persistent and persevering quality of sin to want to drag us back into captivity. And he knows that the, the only way for us to keep going in our faith is to keep growing into Christ. And so he says, drill your roots down into him. You received him once, he says, continue to live in him, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. What a beautiful phrase that is, huh? Always remembering the blessing of of Christ and faith and forgiveness and grace that you and I, that we've been blessed with, overflowing with thankfulness. Now listen to what he says next. See, as he says, keep growing in Christ, now he comes to the warning that I'm talking about. See to it, in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Do you know how much our enemies, the devil, the world, our sinful flesh, those three major powerful spiritual enemies that we all have, want to drag us back into captivity? Paul really here addresses the world, doesn't he? When he says, there are hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition that want to take us captive. Just like that marshal, they are relentlessly after us. What's he talking about? Well, in a moment, we'll talk about what he was talking about with the Colossians, but we have something very similar going on in our world today. And we'll start there. If you look in our world today, we are a true melting pot of all kinds of philosophies and ideas, especially in our country today. Think about all the different peoples that have brought their religious ideas and their various types of philosophies. And if you look at popular culture today, it is very much becoming a mixture of all those philosophies, kind of a, an idea that I can pick from here and pick from there, and I'm going to put together my own religion that works for me. And I'm just going to borrow the best of all the religions. This past week on a major television show... I, uh, I heard one person say something that sounds so true. In fact, it is true. This person said, Becoming what we already are is what life is really about. I want you to think about that for a minute. Becoming what we already are is really what life is all about. You know what? That's true, isn't it? In fact, I've, I've said that many times. But it's also hollow and deceptive if it doesn't have Christ in it. You see, if we say becoming what we already are in Christ, children of God, people who have been forgiven and bought back and redeemed by Christ, 
to serve God's purposes in the world, to give God glory in the world, and ultimately, by grace alone, to, to reach heaven. That's what we are today, and life is a process of becoming what we already are, and that is very true. But if you leave Christ out of that equation, if you don't say becoming what we already are in Christ, think about where you might be left. What that person might be saying is do a better job of searching all the world's religions and philosophies and find better ideas to make them yours and make them your religion. The eclectic religion is the right religion. Pick the best of all there is. That person might be saying, search deeper within yourself. That person might be saying, work harder to love and please God. And by working harder, you can earn your way back to God. We don't know what that person means. And that's exactly why Paul calls these hollow and deceptive philosophies. There's a huge There's a huge element of truth to them. But they're hollow and deceptive when they do not include Jesus Christ at the core. And so that's why Paul says we have to keep on sinking our roots down into the word of God. Sinking our roots down into Jesus Christ. He is fully sufficient. He is what we truly need in this life. He is the correct philosophy of life. That's why Jesus Christ is called The word. I want you to take a look at the passages that I put in your crosswalk notes. The top of page two. Just flip it over. Paul is not the only one that makes this same point. The apostle Peter also says the very same thing. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to keep growing in knowing about the mercy and the undeserved love that God has given us. And we need to know more and more and more about Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Peter says. And Paul, notice the verse reference. Colossians 2.19. This comes right after the big passage that we read at the beginning. Notice that Paul says, if we don't have Christ at the core of every idea and thought and philosophy... If we buy into the world's hollow and deceptive philosophies, we become cut off from the head, he says. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. We were meant to live in Christ. And when we do not have Christ at the core of our life, we are cut off from the head, Paul says. So here's our first point. Jesus wants me to grow in the freedom he gives. He gives you perfect freedom. And he wants you to keep growing into him and into the freedom he gives you. On August 23, 1973, two machine gun-carrying criminals walked into a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, as they walked in, they came in guns blazing. One prison escapee named John Eric Olson announced to the terrified bank employees, the party has just begun, and truly it had just begun. The two bank robbers held four hostages, three women and one man, for the next 131 hours, held them captive. 
The hostages were strapped with dynamite around them and held in a bank vault until they finally were rescued five days later on August 28th. Now here's the rest of the story. After their rescue, those hostages revealed a shocking attitude toward their captors. Considering that they were abused, threatened, that they feared for their lives with dynamite around them for five days, it was clear that after all that, these hostages, these former hostages, supported their captors and actually were more afraid of law enforcement than they were of the people that had captured and tortured them. The hostage, in other words, had begun to feel that the captors were actually protecting them from the police. One woman later on actually became engaged to marry one of her captors. And uh, several of the captors bonded together to form a, a criminal defense fund for their former captors. You know what that is called today? Any of you ever heard of it? The Stockholm Syndrome. The Stockholm Syndrome is when we mentally and emotionally begin to bond with our captors. And isn't it interesting that you can probably, even in your own experience, think of people who have done that. Remember, for those of you who are a little older like me, Patty Hearst in the Symbionese Liberation Army? And really, I guess we have to look no further than our own hearts to see an example of Stockholm Syndrome in a spiritual way, huh? We talked about our our great enemies, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, and how they want to hold us captive. And yet, how we in our own hearts sometimes display a sort of spiritual Stockholm Syndrome that that we want to defend them and, and be close to them and not escape from them. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing in the next two paragraphs of of this text we're studying today, is that Jesus Christ has freed us fully. And we need to not go back. We need to not be held captive again by the things that we have been freed from. And one of the biggest things that we're freed from is the demands of God's law. We are truly freed from having to follow the commandments of God's law in order to be righteous in God's sight. See, that's what grace means. God loves us so much that he has freed us from the need to earn our way back to God. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing that you and I can do to make God love you less because God is love. That's who he is. That's from within him to you. And and so when we go back, when we let ourselves be recaptivated by, by the idea that somehow I know God loves me, I know God sent Jesus for me, but is that really enough? Is that really sufficient for me to reach heaven? As if what Jesus has done might not be a full gas tank. He'll, he'll get us almost all the way to heaven. 
But we have to fill up the gas tank and get ourselves that last remaining part of the way by by fulfilling the commandments or doing something good or loving enough or whatever it might be. And you see, this is exactly what Paul is arguing against in the book of Colossians. He's saying that Christ is fully sufficient. He is a full gas tank for you to reach all the way to eternal life in heaven. Nothing more is needed besides him. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness. Circle that word if you're reading along with me. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Circle that one too. Who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised. Now why does he bring up circumcision? Because the people in Colossae we're teaching that Jesus was almost enough to give us spiritual life, to get us to heaven. But, but you also had to do some Old Testament ceremonies too. You had to be circumcised. And Paul is saying, no, you don't. Old Testament ceremony of circumcision is not needed anymore because Jesus is the fullness. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of your sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. He's saying that when we come to faith in Christ, when we're baptized, like little Lily was baptized this morning, we actually die with Christ. And we're raised again with Christ into a brand new full life. That is all we need. We've died to sin. We've died to the law. We've died to trying to please God in any way except through Christ. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. It's all done. You're alive. He he forgave us how many of our sins? All our sins. Having canceled the written code. In the Greek, that that word written code can mean a bill of payment, like a, a, a debt note. Having canceled the debt note with its regulations that was against us. What we take that to mean is God's law. God's law cannot no longer hang over us and make us feel guilty and shamed all the time because Christ has fulfilled all those laws in our place. That law with its regulations was against us and it stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. It's gone. And even the demons themselves are made powerless. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus wants you and me to know how full your freedom is. It is complete, utter, and total freedom from everything that might captivate you and try to drag you down into hell. It is complete, utter, and total freedom to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that heaven is yours. 
through the sacrifice that God made for you on the cross. Look at what Jesus himself said very early on in his ministry. This is probably about a year into his ministry. Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue and he's given an Old Testament scroll to read. And he he chooses to read from the book of Isaiah. And he says, he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim what? Freedom. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls the scroll back up after he reads that. He hands it back and he says, Today, this person you're looking at fulfills this scripture. I've come to set the prisoners free and give all of you full freedom from sin, guilt, shame. And full access to God, Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You see how many facets this diamond of, of the freedom that God wants you and me to have has? It's like, a, it's like the original blood diamond. A diamond blot bought with Jesus' blood. And this freedom can look, be looked at from so many different angles. Free from sin. Free from shame. Free from having to obey the law. All these different beautiful blessings come because we are fully free in Christ alone. And that's our second point today. Jesus wants me to know the fullness of the freedom he gives. You are completely free in every way through Jesus Christ. Now, one last point, and it's raised by the last verses here in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Having told the people that they are to watch that they don't get dragged back into captivity by empty, hollow philosophies of the world, having reminded them of this freedom and all its beautiful facets and how full it is, he now says, There's one thing that I'm noticing among you Colossians that that is kind of starting to drag you back. And this is what he says to them. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Remember last week, I mentioned to you that the Colossians were in danger in three ways. One was that some were saying, we can think our way. We can meditate and and get to a higher plane of knowledge, and, and in that way, we'll get back to God. Some were saying, we can rule follow our way back to God. Right? And, and, um, and finally... Some were saying we can suffer our way back to God. Well, 16 and 17 really deal explicitly with that second one of rule following your way to God and making worship all about ritual. 
And that's something that we have to very much be careful about. You know, it's so interesting. It would be so easy for us at this point to point at those churches out there and all their rituals. But you know, we have them here too. After four short years, we've, begin, we've begun to develop certain patterns and ways of doing things. Pastor Jeff, every Sunday, three-part sermon. Hmm. Wonder if he'll try a two-parter one of these days. We develop ritual ways of doing things. And then we begin to think that we're more than somebody else because we have our way. And don't get me wrong, I love it when people boast about Christ and what he is doing at Crosswalk Church. Don't get me wrong, I want you to keep inviting your friends and I'm glad that you love this church. I love this church. I love all of you. I love the people that God has brought here. But let us too be careful about a spiritual sense of pride about the way we do things at Crosswalk and begin to judge others and point fingers at others and say, if only people would get it. If only people would, would say, man, why don't we all just imitate what they're doing over there? Look at how that church is growing. And by the grace of God, we are growing through, through the means of grace. We know that and we're appreciative of it. But let us not get a sense of pride that says, hey, it's how we're eating and drinking here. It's how we're celebrating our religious festivals, our new moon celebrations. Sabbath days here. Just as we would not want anyone to put on us a certain ritual way of doing things, we also need to be careful that we don't lay that on anyone else either. We have a way of doing things here at Crosswalk. But it is not necessarily the way or the only way or even the best way. It's just a way. And what Paul is saying here is don't get dragged back into worrying about ritual. It's not about ritual. It's about Jesus Christ. He is fully sufficient. You know, one of my dreams for Crosswalk is that one day we will have many different types of worship services, for example. And that people who enjoy this type of worship service or that type of worship service might find a variety of ways and rituals and things that they could use to worship God. What a beautiful thing it would be for us to be able to serve a lot of different people with a lot of different worship styles and ways of going about things. So I want to remind all of us It's so important not to judge anybody by what they do, just as we don't want to be judged. Also, we will not judge others. Look at what Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know, this is no new issue. This issue of being dragged into a ritual idea about what church really is. Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, was writing to explain the Ten Commandments 
those of you who grew up in the Lutheran church or who have been through my confirmation class, you've learned some of these explanations of the commandments that Luther wrote. They're beautiful summaries of what they're all about. In a book called The Large Catechism, where he goes into a little bit longer explanation about what the commandments are, he says this. I think this is so beautiful, and it shows us how these issues keep coming back to the church again and again. Luther writes, Let us see now how our great saints can boast of their spiritual orders and the great difficult works which they have fashioned while they neglect these commandments as if they were too insignificant or or had been fulfilled long ago. It seems to me that we shall have our hands full to keep these commandments, practicing gentleness, patience, love toward enemies, chastity, kindness, etc., and all that these virtues involve. Our hands are full with those things, he says. But then, regretfully, he goes on and he says, but those kinds of works... Such works as these are not important or impressive in the eyes of the world. They are not unusual or pompous, restricted to special times, places, rites, and ceremonies. They're just simple, common, everyday domestic duties of one neighbor toward another with no show about them. What's Luther saying? He's saying this. We can get so distracted if we think that religion is ritual. And what he encourages us to do is to go back to God's grace, to go back to God's commandments, and wrap our life around those. When we wrap our lives around those, that's when we're really going to be walking in the crosswalk, walking with Christ. You know... When, when Paul wrote this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. When he wrote those words, he was really saying just one thing. Stand firm. Stand firm in the freedom that you have been given in Christ. If you would, reach inside your bulletin folder and pull out your connection card. Turn it over, and on the back side, you'll notice your next steps in the crosswalk. Are you willing this week to examine your heart and mind and ask, what is captivating me and robbing me of my true freedom in Christ? Would you be willing to, um, to remember once again that Jesus Christ is all you need? And to find rest and peace this week in the truth that you already have in him all that you need. What, a, what a, an amazing way to find true deep peace. And finally, will you meditate on and memorize Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, How easy it is for any of us to get 
dragged back into thinking that it's all about us and our efforts and that we need to earn our way back to you somehow, some way, by suffering enough, by, by following enough rules, by thinking hard enough and being smart enough. And Lord, you remind us once again that it is none of that, that it is not by us digging deeper, but it is simply by us receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. We do not have to lift ourselves up to you, Lord. You have come down to us in the person of your one and only son, Jesus. He is our true hero, our champion of freedom. Lord, do not allow us to give up our freedom. Help us to stand firm in it and to know that Jesus is all we need for forgiveness, for new life, for salvation. He is all we need. And help us to stand firm in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.